Today is going to be a day of technical difficulties here on Will This Be On The Test, I think. I think it is. We've had way too good of luck so far. Yeah, I, t- I hit record on Audacity and it was like, hey, we're not going to work, but we're not going to tell you why. So hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And I'm making sure it's still recording. Say things, Austin. Bop, bop, do bop, bow. I'm singing. I'm sorry for that, everybody. I- I'm cutting that out. <laughs> Are you, though? No. <laughs> Because that would, I think I'm lazier than I am capable of shame. It's about time everybody heard the, your voice, though, so you can begin your, begin your singing career. This is how I get discovered, and the next thing you know, I am Lady Gaga in A Star is Born. I love that movie. It's a great movie. I will say, that is one of the things we do around the house, is we loudly sing kind of at each other, almost. I sing mostly about our cats and how they smell bad. We, I do that too, but once in a while we go through a crazy ex-girlfriend medley together. Just spontaneously. Yeah, I was really, really sad to hear about their uh, their songwriter. Yeah. Uh, he passed away from coronavirus. I don't want to get his name wrong. It was, I want to say Adam Schlesinger, but... I don't remember. His name was Adam, I know that. And yeah. I was really sad to hear about that because he's done such cool stuff. Like he did that thing you do and he had he was fountains of wayne yeah right? he was fountains of, he was in fountains of wayne if you've never watched crazy ex-girlfriend it's on netflix and you should it is one of the smartest shows in the last 10 years easily yeah it's a very smart funny hour-long musical comedy but it hits on very real things and the comedy doesn't distract from that like it sometimes makes fun of the serious thing it's handling and this manages to not do that because this is all about you know it's it's a show about mental illness at the end of the day and it recognizes it in a way where it's this is a human condition that many of us live with and that's okay we're all gonna be okay at the end yes and it's and that's not a spoiler because most shows end like that rachel bloom is wonderful austin's in love with her I've been in love with her ever since she uh, released her first big song where she got kind of famous. The uh, music video of Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury. I think you're the one who shared that with me when that first came yes. out. And I was living on the East Coast and you were here. And Yeah. But Austin and I have only been together for a few years. Not especially long, but we've yeah. known each other for 17 years. Yeah, it's seven, we, um, we've been saying 13 years for the last four years now, and it's been much longer than that. We refuse to admit that we're over the age of 30. 30? Is that an age you can be? <laughs> well, I mean, once you hit 30, you stop existing. It's true. It's like you just... That's why we never even saw Jessica on Love is Blind. <gasps> because we just kept she hearing was 24 this... and Mark was 34? Opposite, opposite. Oh, that's right. She was 34. Mark was... How could I get that wrong? It's like, Jessica, we would hear this voice saying, I'm 34. And we're like, who and what is 34? We couldn't see her. Yeah. Well, oh you can God. tell we're going a little quarantine stir crazy over here. Yeah. But we've actually managed to not kill each other so far. Yet. Yet. Although I do scare him because once in a while I say, you know what would be a really good way to kill someone? And then I go into detail and he quickly realizes I'm not wrong. <laughs> She's like, she says, boy, that would be a great way to kill somebody. And then she just spouts off this incredibly detailed, (laughs) thought out murder plan. Like it's something everybody just has in their back pocket to bring up in discussion while I'm going to make a pizza. Well, I was talking about 
Like, how many people do you think are actually dead, but other ones, are, everybody assumes they're on quarantine, followed by, I wonder how many of them are murdered, and their murderer is, like, taking this opportunity to find the best way to dispose of them, especially because most of us don't have access to a great deal of sardine oil and tigers. No. I mean, we have, we have zero sardine oil, and I think between the four of our cats, one-tenth of a tiger. I don't know. Fezzik weighs about as much as a tiger. Oh, my God. No, Fezzik is, like, roughly the same size as the as a newborn baby tiger. He's about the size, isn't he about the weight of, like, a small bobcat? Yeah. But, you know, without the ferocity <laughs> or fluffiness. Oh my god. Fezzik is, like, the least ferocious cat I have ever seen. I had this cat, uh, Isabel, who was my soulmate. This cat was my soulmate. My grandma called me one day and she said, I hear you're looking for a cat. I have one for you. Long story short, she was dying and my grandma saved her and brought her inside. And she was hiding under the futon. And I got down on the floor to look at her. And I swear to God, I thought my grandma had brought a bobcat inside. <laughs> like she had those giant eyes and she had the coloring and the fur of a bobcat. And she was so angry. But I finally got her to come out and she ended up being just my Isabel. She was the best cat. And I say that as someone who loves our four cats, Isabel was better than all of our cats. Austin was a dog person, and then Isabel came along and changed that. Okay, now, but we're getting into a downer now. She yeah. Was, she was the best, everybody. And right now, guys, everybody, it's a good time to adopt an animal. You're home yeah. anyway. You can get them acclimated. You can get used to each other. So if you have the means, contact your local shelter. Go adopt a cat, yeah. a dog, a guinea pig, a rabbit. That You'll find them all in shelters. Uh, a, a turtle. There are turtles up for adoption. Did you see the thing about these 70,000 endangered sea turtles laying eggs in India because the beach was empty? Yes. How cool is that? I, it's amazing how much better the world is without us around. I know. Oh, my God. I'm loving all the photos of the wildlife taking back over, like the bears just walking through the streets. I am legend got some stuff right. Of course, my personal favorite, the, the two pandas in the zoo who haven't had sex in 10 years and finally know that there aren't people around them all the time. Finally are having sex. Like, they're just not into voyeurism, guys. Yeah, it's like, pandas are super vanilla. But there is a great uh, live stream, I think it's from the Atlanta Zoo, where you can watch their pandas all day. And pandas, I never knew how active they were. Because when we go to the zoo, they're like, screw you. They are having the best time. Like, they are chasing. It's like watching our cats when they're on catnip. Yeah, there is, like, another great way to pass some time instead of just, you know, binge-watching horrifying murder shows on Netflix like we do is you can also watch Animal Cams, and they are pretty fun, too. They are. They are. My work, we, over the video thing, we're, like, like today's Animal Cam that we have playing off to the side. So if we start to get, like, overloaded, we're like, I'm going to watch this video of otters for five minutes, and it's great. So who goes first this week? Oh, wait, we are Will This Be On The Test, the show that covers the things that you didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or learned incorrectly in school. Yes, I think that covers it. We, we're we starting off strong this week. <laughs> we are showing our professionalism, our skill, and like everything we've learned in the past 30 episodes of recording is coming up in this one. <laughs> Boy. We are professionals at this. Professionals, I say. We actually did get our sixth iTunes review. Thank you to whoever that was. Uh, and we really loved it. Like, that was such know, a fun was, review to read. It's good. It's nice to hear some good news and nice stuff, like, right now. Yeah. And if you're another podcaster, like, feel free to connect. We'll listen to you. Like, we yeah. love podcasts. And we've been listening to the same ones for a couple of years now. I do. I am trying to, like, when I'm here from other podcasters, I'm like, I'm going to go listen to them now. Yeah. I, I recently listened to some people do a review of the movie Predator, and now I want to watch Predator 2 again because I don't remember. Um, 
Oh, what was it was called? Uh, Shoot the Flick. Shoot the Flick, yeah. yeah. I was listening to talk about Predator, and it's like, they're talking about how Predator 2 was bad. And it's like, whoa, I remember Danny Glover in Predator 2, and I thought it was pretty good, but... I haven't seen it since I was 10, so I don't know if it's actually good or not. I because to them, 10-year-olds don't know what good movies are. I listen to them talk about Moulin Rouge. So yeah, Shoot the Flick is a good one if you like hearing a married couple talk about things. Yep. And in this case, movies. Talk about movies that, that one of them hasn't seen that the other one likes. It's, mm-hmm. it's a good concept. So who goes first this week? I think it's you because I went first last week. Okay, so my topic this week, I could not think of one. And then Austin mentioned, I'm going to spoil it, that spoil he was talking about sharks. And so I made a joke about how I should talk about jets and we can do West Side Story. <laughs> I wish I could snap right now because I can't snap. You can't snap? I can't snap. Let me see. Let's see. This is great podcasting right here. <laughs> me trying to snap. Okay. Do you want to see my mad snapping skills? Sure. Wow. It's like we could, you, you're like a one-man <laughs> rumble right there. Oh, I can switch sides and everything. Wow. I know. Great podcasting happening right now. I'll teach you how to snap later. You you can try. I've never but been hey, able to But hey, neither one of us can whistle. No, we can't whistle. And you can't curl your tongue. Can't curl my tongue. Can't snap. Uh, anyway, West Side Story. Um, I could do and have considered doing an entire episode about the history of West Side Story and why it fills me with rage. Is it because Officer Krupke was not really respected as he should have been as a law enforcement officer? Yes, that's exactly Okay. Why. No, it's, I wrote a paper on it in grad school and it's just got this really like frightening history behind its productions and its complete lack of understanding of what Puerto Rico is. Including the fact that it is, in fact, part of America. I feel like Donald Trump learned everything he knows about Puerto Rico from that movie and therefore thinks they're not in America. Yeah. Oh, my God. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) He probably doesn't. Well, no, because then he would have realized that Puerto Rico was an island much earlier than he did. It took him a long time to figure that out. Uh, Like that governor in Georgia or whatever who just figured out that coronavirus can be asymptomatic. It's like, dude. He's the one who beat Stacey Abrams, right? Yeah. I bet she knows that it can be asymptomatic. I'm pretty sure Stacey Abrams knows everything. And we would be, it's like, why isn't Stacey Abrams running for president? I would vote for seven Stacey Abrams. As opposed to Stacey from What Not to Wear. She's the devil. Stacey from What Not to Wear is the devil. Stacey Abrams. I believe Stacey from What Not to Wear's last name is Abraham, which is why I was always getting confused when she was running. Oh my God, is that the entire confusion? And when I said, it's like, boy, I really hope that Biden picked Stacey Abrams to be his VP choice. You looked at me with just contempt. (laughs) Oh, I understand now. But you also understand now why I think Tulsi Gabbard is a uh, Disney villain. It's the gray streak. Yeah. I got him to watch What Not to Wear this week. That show is like it's mean. It's it's mean and it's predatory, and I'm almost not okay with it. But oh my god, we spend the time judging Stacey and Clinton, not the person who's getting redone. Yeah, most of the time it's like the person getting redone is like, eh, okay. Well, anyway, Austin's going to be talking about sharks. I was like, I should talk about jets, and so I started looking up the history of jets, and I couldn't find anything that really drew me in. So I started looking at the history of planes, and nothing really drew me in that I hadn't learned pretty thoroughly in school. So I started looking at pilots. And before I begin, my sources are Wikipedia, the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. If you ever get the chance to go to that and to the annex, you should go. Women in Aviation International, AsianReporter.com, The Post Star, The Jefferson City Post Tribune, The Albany <clears throat> Democrat Herald, and 99s.org. That's a lot of sources. Yeah. So in school, we learned a lot about certain famous people who were involved in the history of flight. Amelia Earhart, Charles Lindbergh, and the Wright brothers. Yes. I also learned about Beryl Markham, who was the first, 
I didn't write down the notes. The first person to fly east to west across the Atlantic from England to the United States. I And I only learned about her because I had to read her memoir in uh, high school. I've actually talked about reading her memoir and how much I hated it. They brought up at least Bessie Coleman, who was the first African-American and Native American female pilot. They might have mentioned Eugene Bullard, the first African-American military pirate. Pilot. <laughs> pilot. Yeah, there's a big difference between pilot and pirate. I don't know. Can you be an air pirate? I guess you can. I am the captain now of this plane. <laughs> Sky Pirates, coming soon. And we also learned about the Tuskegee Airmen. Except for the Wrights and Amelia Earhart, of course, none of these people got enough screen time, so to speak, in the classroom. But I'm going to be talking about two who were never mentioned, at least not in my classes. Mary Riddle and Leah Hing. Did either of them ever come up to you? Nope. Cool. Well, not cool, but glad that you're starting fresh. Starting fresh. I don't know anything. Mary Riddle was the second Native American woman and the first full-blooded Native American woman to earn a pilot's license. We usually focus on the first, which would, of course, have been Bessie Coleman, like I mentioned, but this woman did some pretty cool stuff. She was also the first Native American woman to achieve not just her pilot's license, but also her commercial license. Ooh. She was born in Bruceport, Washington, and was a member of the Catsop Tribe in Oregon and the Quinault Indian Nation in Washington. While we call her Mary Riddle, her tribal name, I'm not sure what the official term is for that, was Kusticha or Kingfisher, which was given to her by her grandmother, as at the moment of her birth, the Kingfishers began to make a lot of noise. Kingfishers are, of course, birds. And so an article from the Jefferson City Post-Tribune in 1943 posited that maybe this was a sign of things to come, that the birds made noise about her birth and basically invited her to fly with them. Oh. But that's that's some fancy schmancy prose right there. That is that is some goddamn Disney princess shit right there. Mm-hmm. Although she was beautiful. She looked like a Disney princess. She saw her first plane when she was 11. Can you imagine not seeing a plane at all until you were 11? This was... No, I mean, that's like... I this was, was a little bit ago. I grew up in a family that traveled a lot. My dad traveled for work. I've never... I'm sure my first plane ride was when I was a toddler, if not younger, and I burst an eardrum on a plane once, so I must—I apologize to anybody who was around screaming five-year-old me when my eardrum burst. I remember my first <laughs> time I was on an airplane, the whole first time I remember anyway, was like we were going somewhere and like there was like some like problem with the plane. So we were just stuck on the runway for forever. So I fell asleep and I didn't wake up until we had landed. And my parents woke me up like, hey, Austin, it's like, are we on the ground? It's like, yeah. It's like, we still haven't left. <laughs> we were already there. <laughs> I took a flight once and we had to get off on the tarmac for some reason, like down the stairs and across the tarmac. And I was asleep when the flight landed, so my aunt was carrying me and I kept pretending to be asleep because I didn't want to walk. <laughs> Kids are awesome. You've done that to me. You have never carried me. What are you, I'm taller than you. <laughs> anyway, when Mary Riddle was 17, she saw a female pilot who fatally crashed. Like she would go to all these air shows, she saw a female pilot. And this, I think her first female pilot was the idea that I got, who fatally crashed her plane. So that moment made Mary realize that people needed to have proof that women could fly as well as men. It was widely believed that women couldn't, and she was afraid that this particular instance would further that belief. So for two years, she saved up every penny she could to attend the Rankin Flying School in Portland, which was run by a dude named Tex Rankin. Tex Rankin? Tex Rankin, who I will get back to. She was a fast learner and made her first solo flight on May 10th, 1930. She said she wasn't at all afraid and just had to learn to make adjustments on the fly. 
to make up for the missing weight of her instructor because it was a small plane and the weight matters. That same year, she was featured in the 1930 Portland Rose Festival. Given the times and understanding kind of where she was in society and how to get people to buy in, she wore full Native American costume, and I do mean like costume level costume, and rode a horse up to her plane. Which, of course, drew that is, publicity. That is some theatrics right there. It is some theatrics. And it's like, on the one hand, you look at it and go, Ugh, you know? But on the other hand, it's like, she knew how to play to an audience. She knew how to get buy-in. And so that meant she knew how to make get further jobs. I also hate that this still happens, but whatever. <sighs> she was also featured on the cover of a June thir- 1934 magazine called The 99er, now called The 99s. The group is still around, which was entirely about female flyers. On the cover, she had the quote, come on, let's help fill the sky with Thunderbirds. Once again, playing into her audience knowing that they were and she was also once again in the full costume and um she had braids she had a feather the whole nine yards she was doing for this and then making quotes like that she knew her audience so for better or for worse she knew how to make that money she later went to the spartan school in tulsa to learn how to parachute like a crazy person because only crazy people do that why would you want to jump out of a i'm really airplane? afraid of heights I do want to see people who dies on the way down because they're so afraid. That's a real thing that happens to yeah. The school was all male and she had to beg and plead for two weeks to be allowed in. And she actually ultimately was. The aforementioned Jefferson City Post-Tribune article, which again, written in 1943, actually saw the reason behind this saying, Mary had to buck prejudice against her sex. No flyer at first would consent to take her up for a jump, but finally she met a young man who wanted a publicity stunt to open a new flying field. And a woman parachute jumper, especially an Indian, was just the thing. So this is a Jefferson City, Missouri article going, yeah, she had to fight because there was this undue prejudice and then that prejudice was turned into opportunity, but guys, it was still fucking prejudice. Yep. Which I thought was pretty cool for a 1943 article. <clears throat> the article was actually like highly complimentary of her the entire time, basically saying like, she's a badass and look at these new badass things she's doing. She agreed to go with this dude, despite the fact that he had never had someone jump out of his plane before. Huh. But the jump was successful and she became a professional jumper after that, touring the U.S. on The Voice of Washington, which was said to be the largest tri-motored plane in the world and ultimately completing 40 jumps. She nearly died when a parachute malfunctioned because crazy people parachute and it became tangled in her legs. But it still wasn't until the next year when she just had a back injury and couldn't do it anymore. Oh, gosh. Then World War II happened. Yep. And this brought restrictions to civilian aircraft so she couldn't fly anymore because she didn't have any other kind of licensure. So she joined the U.S. Air Force's civil service saying, I had to be near airplanes even if I could not fly them. She ended up in Missouri, which is why the Jefferson City Post-Tribune reported on her, working as an aluminum sheet metal worker in the repair shops of the airfield. She ultimately also ended up inspecting civilian aircrafts and became an aircraft maintenance advisor. I was sort of a guinea pig, really, on account of being the only woman, but I got along fine. And there were people who were like, I don't want to work with a woman. I don't want her to be in charge of me. I don't. And she's and she's also probably like she's definitely the only native woman who's there. Probably one of the few, if the only native person there. So there was some mistrust that came with the times. But she was like, fuck you. I know how to do this probably better than you do. Yep. She had um, to get by by being better than everybody else. Like, she had completed more parachute jumps than most paratroopers ever would in their career. After the war ended, she moved to New York and became a receptionist, but continued to fly. And she died in October of 1981 at the age of 79. So she had a very long, fit, fulfilling career. And that's her in a nutshell. Moving on to Leah Hing. And the two are connected in a very tangential way that involves techs. 
Okay. I'll get back to you, like I said. Leah was the first Chinese woman American to earn her pilot's license. When she was a child, she attended school and worked on her father's hops ranch alongside her three siblings. Hops ranch. Like, they grow, like, hops, like, for beer? Yeah. Hops? Okay. I also saw stuff that said that he was, like, he did, like, the oriental medicine stuff. And I'm, like, if he did, based on everything I read about him, he was totally, like, blowing smoke up people's asses and like, selling oh, yeah, his this hops is... as, like, medicine. Yeah, hops hops will cure hemorrhoids. Because yeah. he was, like, yeah. this dude, especially for the time, did really well for himself and was clearly fucking brilliant. So he would have looked at it and gone, <laughs> I can make some money off these dumb asses. It's, like... But by most accounts, he had a hops farm. Interestingly, when she was 20, she danced in the 1927 Portland Rose Festival with the 17 other Chinese girls, two of whom would also become pilots. Wow. And one of whom would become a woman of the Women Air Force Service pilots in World War II, also called the Wasps. Ooh. She actually died in combat. I kind of briefly saw, but she's not the subject of what I'm doing today. That same year... Leah and five other women founded the Portland Chinese Girls Orchestra in which she played the saxophone. This girl had one crazy fucking life. Like, just hang on to your feet. Under your, what do you hang on to? I don't know. Your butts? You hang on to Samuel your Samuel Jackson said hang on to your butts in Jurassic Park. So okay, I don't know. cool. I'm holding on to my butt. They ultimately joined the Honorable Wu's Vaudeville Troupe and toured America during a time when, it, when few, if any, real jobs were open to Chinese-American women. She said, though, that she recognized that they were a novelty act. They were all female. They wore traditional Chinese clothing, etc. And they only knew one song. <laughs> In Chicago, she took her first airplane, airplane ride at a school for Chinese-American pilots, and she was absolutely hooked after that. Went home to Portland, decided to become a pilot. In 1931, Portland opened a Chinese-American flying school specifically so that students could become fighter pilots in the Second Sino-Japanese War. You ever heard of that? Yes, very briefly as like a preamble to World War II. I never once heard about the Sino-Japanese War, let alone oh. the second one. Some war crimes of a level that is shocking happened. Yeah, I considered going down the rabbit hole, but I was like, nope, that's not the topic today. Leah wanted to go to this fighter pilot school and become a fighter pilot. Her dad said no, <laughs> but he did let her buy a plane. Again, back to the fact that this dude knew what was up, and he was also very wealthy for the time for his, especially- I mean, he bought his daughter a plane. Mm -hmm. She would later use that plane to perform in air shows. While she was managing the Chinese tea garden restaurant, which her dad invested in, she met Tex Rankin, who had also taught Mary Riddle. Now, I can't find anything saying that Mary and Leah ever met. Because Mary was at the school two years before Leah came in. Tex Rankin, though, said that Leah was a ridiculously fast learner, stating, I tried to cut down this quote, but I realized that it wouldn't make sense if I cut out parts of it. The first lesson consists of control exercises, the use of rudder in the extremes, full rudder to the right and full rudder to the left, rudder to the left, and the use of the ailerons, banking the ship vertically to the left and then to the right, and the use of the elevators, diving in and zooming the ship several times. The trick is to learn to use all three together. This Miss Hing did after only 10 minutes. And at the end of 15 minutes, she pulled the throttle back and put the ship into a glide, landing it with little difficulty. I coached her through the speaking tube, but she did everything right. That's unusual for at the first time for anyone. Wow. Yeah. And she did it in 10 fucking minutes. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't even figure out basic shit like trying to like a new recipe in 10 minutes. Like, hold on, I got to do what? Or like trying to put together Ikea furniture in 10 minutes. Oh God. Or the other day when we, t we were hanging out with your cousin online and I couldn't figure out Zoom 
Oh, yeah. Austin, I can't do it. Why is there... It was like Saturday Night Live with... Uh, A.D. Bryant. With A.D. Bryant and Kate McKinnon. If you've not watched Saturday Night Live from this week, they all recorded from their own homes. And it's killer. Like, they did such a good job. God, their houses are so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Especially Tom Hanks's. Tom Hanks, adopt me, please. <laughs> so you might wonder why, in a time when women weren't encouraged to hold jobs at all, let alone women of color... And let alone become pilots, Tex Rankin decided to take them on. Well, he had the goal of creating a, quote, rainbow all-female stunt team. Okay, suddenly I am (laughs) less impressed by Tex Rankin. I know, I am so conflicted on this. Because on the one hand, picking people entirely based on race and gender is icky. But on the other hand, this is the 1930s. And this dude is not only willing to work with women, but women of color and assume that they can do something as unbelievable back then as fly planes. I have really mixed feelings on this. Um, If it was now, I'd be like, you're a disgusting person who I would would, kick in the balls. I would say based on the time period, this is more good than bad. Yeah, based on the time period, he was relatively progressive, I think. It does sound like they were able to do any of this because they were a novelty and that might be like the first step in stuff like that. It's like, oh, look at this novelty. Then, oh, she's actually good. Well, Maybe. Like, and notice in his quote about Leah, no, at no point did he say this is unusual for a woman. This is unusual for anyone. For anyone. Um, so he actually did like actively encourage these women and he actively taught them and he taught them to do some crazy shit because it was in a flying circus is what it was. Flying circus. Like, like Monty, Monty Python. Python. Um, the reason, a big part of the reason the ne- the group never happened was that Mary Riddle told him to fuck off. Yeah, that <laughs> Mary Riddle would do that. Leah Hing, on the other hand, actually stuck around with him for a while and performed in his aerial show. Now, the aerial shows that she was involved with were like the ones that we see at festivals today because Midwesterners are super into their jet shows. Yeah. But in the 1930s with those planes. The fact that no one died, well not no one, lots of people died. The fact that... <laughs> Not everybody like, died. Leah Hing was in a couple of airplane crashes. She walked away from both of them. Wow. One of them, her plane flipped entirely over after hitting a pothole, by the way. Oh. And she was like, oh, damn, I got to get my plane fixed now. She was fine. <laughs> yeah, she joined the air troop. And it was reported in the post star of Glenwood, Glen Falls, New York in 1932 that she wanted to be the, quote, Miss Lindbergh of China. I never found a damn thing where she said that. That sounds like a dude writing for the media trying to make it okay that there's a woman and a Chinese woman at that who is doing something that Charles Lindbergh did. And you know who also would hate to hear anyone's that her say that more than anyone else is Charles Lindbergh because he was a huge fucking racist. Yeah, I didn't even get into that on the Dr. Seuss episode. I was like rabbit hole, rabbit hole, stand topic. Oh God, okay, avoiding that rabbit hole because that's a big rabbit hole. It's like. Every time I avoid certain rabbit holes, I think about those people on the internet who was like, oh, you're talking about Dr. Seuss, but you're not going into Charles Lindbergh. That must mean you're okay with everything Charles Lindbergh did. No, I'm staying on topic. Can you imagine like people like that clearly forgot how to write a five paragraph essay? Oh, or they never learned in the first place. Like, oh my God, if our podcast was like the conversations we have, everything would just evolve into us trying to sort all of Parks and Recreation into their Hogwarts houses. (laughs) We can talk about that at the end. We definitely spent about two hours doing that with Parks and Rec and several other shows. Yep. You'll get to hear my supernatural argument. But anyway, the Miss Lindbergh, I I lost my spot. 
She never said, as far as I could see, that she wanted to be called Miss Lindy. And yes, they went with that. But she did say, a country sees only through the eyes of its flyers, meaning that women, and particularly Chinese women, would be better seen as people if they could hold those jobs regularly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Leah Hing decided her ultimate goal was to move to China and become an aviation instructor for Chinese women, saying, I believe that women can learn to fly as easily as men and that eventually there will be just as many women flying as men. I'll go into those stats later. Unfortunately, that never materialized. During World War II, she worked at the Portland Air Force Base repairing flight instruments, and she enlisted in the West Coast Civil Air Patrol to to fly recon missions. I could not find any more information about that, and I am so bummed because I want to know what she was doing on these recon missions. She and other Chinese people had to wear buttons clarifying that they were Chinese. We never Uh, talked about that in school. No, I guess not. No, it's like... Somehow we were just told, like, they rounded up the Japanese people and put them in internment camps. They never talked about the fact that white people can't tell the difference between the different Asian races. Mm -hmm. So we had to have people wearing buttons, kind of like the people in Nazi Germany had to identify themselves as, you know, Jewish, to not end up in internment camps. But she actually, I didn't write down her quote, but basically it was, it's, I know, I do know that they said that I am Chinese, basically, because they were very proud of the fact that they were Chinese. Okay. She said something a little bit racist after that. But <laughs> oh. basically, we are very proud that we were Chinese and we didn't want to be lumped in with those Japanese, is more or less what she said. I, cl- I should have left that quote in because I do try to not heroify people and she is very easily heroified. But she also kind of makes up for it later okay. in a way. Yeah, but basically they wore them so they wouldn't accidentally be put in internment camps or in her case, especially because she was working on military planes to not scare people into thinking she was some kind of terrorist. During the war, she was also denied entrance to an aviation club because she was Chinese. Later, though, when the con- when Congress repealed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which I never heard about. What? I had not heard about this either. That was an actual act that had to be repealed because China was an ally now, so we have to stop excluding them. I didn't go down the rabbit hole. That might be a topic for another that time. That might be another topic for another time. We are like... This is fascinating. We have lots... I have lots of topics for another time, too. She became the first woman of color to work at the Aero Club, A-E-R-O, which was a social club. She was a hat check girl, a switchboard operator, and a photographer, staying there until she'd retired at the age of 70. Wow. And she did a lot of other cool cool shit, too. She became the secretary treasurer of her local branch of the 99s. I mentioned them earlier. And I have a feeling that the writer of the Albany Democrat Herald was not happy that he couldn't call her Mrs. Mann's name like he did with Mrs. Howard Burleson, vice chairman. He had to call her Miss Leah Hing. (laughs) She was so good at this. That even in the days before the internet, she was able to find out when members from other chapters were in town and contact them to let them know about upcoming meetings. Wow. She also worked with immigrants who were navigating the citizenship project process, becoming so good at it that people went to her instead of to a lawyer. She also managed the Chunghua Hoopers, a all-girls basketball team, which raised money for poor and elderly Chinese Americans. She sold insurance, owned a watch repair business, worked as a professional photographer, and refused several marriage proposals because she, quote, liked her independence. Yeah. Yeah, she's a badass. Mm Mm-hmm. She was well known for being fun, enjoying everything life had to give her, including once surprise landing her plane in her brother and sister-in-law's wheat field just to come by and say hi. Uh, She died in 2001 at the age of 94, and her first plane is on display at the Pearson Air Museum. Now, I told you to get in some of the statistics when she said, I believe that someday there will be as many women flying as men. We suck. I'm aware. (laughs) 
As of 2018, according to Women in Aviation International, only 7.3% of all pilots are women. What? A 2019 CNN article furthers that 3% of airline executives are women and only 1% of commercial airline captains are female. Mm-hmm. It says, the CNN article says that a large problem is that the work rules haven't changed in 50 years. Unlike many other industries, there is little room for work-life balance. If you've ever known somebody who worked on a plane, you know that they're home one weekend a month, maybe. Yep. Uh, same thing for people who work on, like, trains. But a little bit better for them. Not much better, but a little bit. And it's not something like, you know, if you're a long-haul trucker, you can be like, okay, I'm done with the long-haul life. I can, I'm going to start doing ones where it's local. You don't have that option as a pilot. Yeah. And because of the patriarchy, women are still expected to be the ones who stay home with the kids. Ugh. So most women who become pilots leave the field after fewer than five years. Hmm. Same with teaching, guys. And for similar reasons. The lack of work-life balance? Lack of work-life balance. And you don't even get the perks. Like, you don't get to go to fun places. You don't get the pay. Pilots don't tend to get screamed at all the time. That's true. It's usually the flight attendants that get screamed at. Like, even in the current nonsense that's happening with the airline industries, get wanting another payoff and blah, 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 nobody's going, those goddamn pilots. Nobody is, because nope. it's not them. Oh, no. And for some reason, we can differentiate airline companies from the pilots, but we can't differentiate the dumbass decisions that are being made for educators and educators. Yeah. What the damn hell? Teachers aren't the ones going, you know what we want? More testing. And longer school days. And let's get rid of those arts. There's not a single teacher. No, that's not true. There's not there, a single teacher who should be a teacher who is doing that. And one, and that percentage is like, I'd say 2% at most of teachers who are like, yeah, testing and fuck the arts. Not a thing. I definitely had some teachers that were, yeah, more testing and fuck the arts. I had an orchestra thing. I had to leave for the day. And it's like, I had to retake a math test because like, hey, I'm going to be gone for this same day as a test. And he almost would not let me take the test uh -huh. because orchestra was not as necessary as math. And you really think it's necessary for your education to be in this concert. I have heard some teachers say shit like that. I have. And they the, are the percent of a percent in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, it's my, just my everybody, everybody encounters them. They do not represent the whole. and People need to stop pretending they do. Yeah. My response was, oh, you've let people take up. Uh, Take other, uh, you, you've let people retake tests for sports stuff. Why is this different? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, is it? You know what's funny is I can honestly say that some of my biggest supporters as a theater teacher were the PE teachers. Like throughout my entire career, I never encountered a PE teacher who was like, fuck the arts, only sports. Like the stuff they put on TV shows about that, it's in my experience, totally untrue. Are you saying that Glee isn't an accurate TV show? That is the least of the problems with Glee. <laughs> Okay, another rabbit hole we could go down for days at a time. We should do a podcast where we where we rewatch Glee. <laughs> don't do that to us. I don't know if I can take it. <laughs> and then we also, of course, have the problem where in your third trimester, you're not supposed to fly. Well, female pilots who are able to get pregnant could become pregnant and therefore could not fly for the last three months of their pregnancy and then for an additional however long of maternity leave. Yeah. And, you know, airlines are just so poor, they couldn't possibly eat the cost of that oh, much leave. never. I mean, oh my God, trying to get a drink voucher out of them after your, your plane's been delayed for four hours is hard enough. Except for JetBlue. Thank you, JetBlue. Fly to Kansas City, please. 
mm-hmm. I'm here. You were the only plane that's ever been awesome about that. And remember, if uh, JetBlue does come to Kansas City, it's because of us. And y'all better like like our podcast more after that. Hey, JetBlue, you want to sponsor us? Yeah. We'll take a JetBlue sponsorship. All you got to do is give us like, come to Kansas City. We don't want money or anything. Just start flying in out of Kansas City. Dude, we are cheap. We will like send us like a friendly email and we'll sponsor you at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it's worth noting that even though most women leave the field in less than five years, the vast majority of them do not become stay-at-home moms or become housewives. The vast majority continue a job outside the home. So it's not a matter of, I don't want to work anymore. It's, I literally can't have my family and have this job. Same reason a lot of teachers leave. Flight school can also cost as much as $150,000. I read this week that the average four-year education is up to $122,000. Wow, so flight school might be a better option for a lot of people. For a lot of people, yeah, because, I mean, there are not a lot of pilots graduating. So, well, there are a lot of art history majors. I'm not making fun of art history, dudes, because that is a hard subject. Yeah. So people from low-income families, which of course disproportionately means people of color, are less likely to start in the first place which caused an even larger disparity between women of color and the general population of, of women and, of course, the general population of pilots. Shannon Morrison of The Ohio State University Center for Aviation Studies says that there's a disconnect between what airlines say about their inclusion practices and what they actually are. Celebrating Black History Month with an all-Black crew is not the same as creating a corporate culture that supports diverse talent. If the aviation industry is concerned with the talent shortage, then it should also be concerned with attracting diverse talent by creating a corporate culture that sustains all the individuals who work within it. Yeah, change that corporate culture. Seriously. So that is Mary Riddle, Leah Hing, and some of the earliest pioneers in women of color in aviation. That is awesome. I did not know a lot of this stuff, and it was really fun to hear it. Yeah. So you ready for some questions? Of course I'm ready for questions. All right. Will either Mary Hiddle or Leah Hing be on a test? No. I feel like- Because I think they're just going to get overshadowed by Lindbergh in World War II. Yeah. And there's, of course, the fact that there was already a female Native American pilot in Bessie Coleman. And I don't know, like, we don't talk a whole lot about Chinese American history. We talk about railroads a little bit. A little bit. But we kind of gloss over how we treated them with that Chinese Exclusion Act. Maybe that's why. Asian Americans, Asian history, all that gets just Glossed over. It's like... Japanese internment camps was a footnote in my World War II lessons. I remember a textbook, the Japanese internment camps, they weren't like one of those... They were a a full page insert. And that was it. Mine was a quarter page insert. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now let's pretend they are on tests. Will the fact that both of them experienced with aircrafts probably more than most of their peers were mistrusted in their military work on planes be on the test? No, because we can never think ill of the troops. Well, these guys weren't the troops. These were these were civilians who worked on planes. We can't think ill of men. We can't. Oh no! Uh, I've been looking into buying a bidet. <gasps> but what will? But what will the patriarchy think of me? Undermining the patriarchy one clean ass at a time. No. Will the fact that both of them ended up on airplane in airplane related leadership positions be on the test? If they're on the test in the first place, yes. And will the fact that less than ten percent of all pilots and less than than one percent of commercial pilots being female be on the test? No, because that is a shameful, shameful fact that will embarrass the male textbook executives. Yeah. Hey, airline industry, get your shit together. Yeah. Seriously, people. And also, you legally have to refund people their tickets when you cancel a flight. Legally. It's like, we're giving you like a couple billion dollars in a refund here. Bail. It's not even a refund. It's a bailout. You're just getting money for nothing. 
bitches. Maybe you should not be shitty people about it. Yeah, like Austin and I were looking at taking a trip right before all this went down. And I'm really glad we didn't book a flight. Yeah, because we wouldn't be getting that back. Yeah, and we were looking at taking a pl- taking it in June. Yeah. But this is why I do road trips. This is why I drive everywhere. But I, I can't drive west. I'm afraid of the mountains. Yep. Well, and you can't drive really far east because there's mountains there too. We're just hemmed in on all but sides. But I can get around those mountains if I to any place I've ever actually wanted to go. Remember, we drove down the entire east coast. Yep. And we drove there in the first place. Oh, and God. I avoided the mountains. Oh, God. You made me drive through West Virginia. And that was so stressful. Is yeah, it we, because of all the banjos? Yeah, it's all the banjos and all of the Smoky Mountains, uh, the Mountain Mamas, the Whiskey Rivers. Uh, they were trying to take me home and I was on vacation. <laughs> It is beautiful driving through there, though. It is gorgeous. <laughs> and so what do you have for us today? So she already kind of talked about this. I'm going to be talking about sharks. And sharknados? No sharknados. Damn it. I really, I'm actually talking very specifically about shark attacks. Sharknados are the ultimate shark attack. They are the shark attack because it's a shark attack on land. A sharknado can be anywhere. And as we learned in Sharknado 3, they can even happen to the White House. Austin and I bonded initially over sharknados. It was, it was Christmas. You know, the time you traditionally watch Sharknado. Yes. And um, she called me and said, hey, I'm bored. It's Christmas. You want to watch a movie? It's like, I checked out Sharknado at the library. (laughs) She says, cool, bring tequila. And I did. And that's how our relationship started. (laughs) Sharknado and tequila. Best first date. That wasn't our first date. No, our first date was New Year's shortly after that, in which we had the most awkward, boring date because we'd been hanging around for three, three days and we're out of stuff to talk about. We've been hanging out for 10 years plus at that time. I don't, yeah. I don't remember what year this was at that point. I don't either. Like, I know it was after my divorce. That's what that's what matters. Yes. And I'm not a scrub. I don't want no scrubs. A scrub is a guy that can get no love from Maddie. True. Yeah, no, we got together and watched Sharknado because I was really bored. And then we were like, hey, do you want to try going on a date? Like, this is just an actual point of conversation while you're making fun of the movie. <laughs> So thank you, Tara Reed. Thank you for everything. <laughs> thank you for everything, Tara Reed. <laughs> I actually, um, I don't know how I came across this. I was looking for something unrelated. And I found out like her agent's information and that you can book Tara Reed for private events. Oh my God. We have an anniversary that's coming up very soon. We can't get her for Thursday, but maybe next year for anniversary five, we will do our choreographed dance number to Joe Exotic's song about Carol Baskin and have Tara Reed be there. Now, more importantly, um, this song, can we just have Tara Reed be doing a cover of Joe Exotic's song about Carol Baskin as we are dressed like a tiger in Carol Baskin? <laughs> We still haven't decided that if we're going to do Halloween costumes, which one of us is Carol Baskin? I think neither of us. We don't want that evil on ourselves. <laughs> so, sharks. I'm talking about very specific shark attacks that happened in New Jersey in 1916 and how it really changed the way people viewed sharks. Okay. Because, uh, believe it or not, shark attacks have always been a thing. Sharks have been around for 450 million years. Yep. And it's like we have Greek urns from 3000 BCE that show people being attacked by sharks. There's entire Southeast Asian cultures that view that have sharks as important like religious idols and like symbols. Is in there a everything. specific kind of shark that tends to be in these or is it like every kind? It's it I it probably depends on what which I group, wanna see which some depiction. hammerhead sharks in these depictions. There probably are. And there's just like Pliny the Elder actually described hey, Pliny! Pliny the Elder Elder described sharks 
as creatures that attack pearl hunters. Not entirely wrong. No. And even Aztec fishermen, uh, in an attempt to keep sharks away from their boats, would tie hot peppers to their hulls. Huh. Yeah. So they are susceptible to capsaicin. No, it didn't work. Oh. But they did it anyway. You know what else it doesn't work on? What? Cats. No. Our cat, man, she, like, loves uh, jalapenos. Oh, my. We had some, like... We do keep them away from her. She somehow finds them. Yeah, we had some, up on the counter, some jalapenos. And then, like, we hear us, like, crunch, 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 crunch. And we look over, and she is just playing with a jalapeno like it's one of her toys. I threw it away and put the rest on top of the fridge behind stuff. And then she somehow got hold of one again. And I don't know where she got it. She's, she's crazy. She's a great cat, but she's crazy. For most of history, we've been aware that sharks are dangerous, but we weren't, people in general weren't afraid of sharks. People who spend a lot of time in the water or live by the water or like depended on the ocean for their livelihood or survival were respectful and a little afraid and aware of sharks. Most other people just knew that sharks existed and like you'd hear stories about like shipwrecked sailors being attacked by a shark. That was it. It was not like a front worry for pretty much anybody. But then a series of things happened that kind of changed that. A series of unfortunate events. A you series might say? of unfortunate events happened in America in 1916 along the Jersey Shore when there was a string of shark attacks in one year that killed four people and injured one. So there were some cir- some weird circumstances and stuff that led up to this because there were a lot of people in the water that summer for some different reasons. First and foremost, ocean bathing had become popular, mm-hmm. so it was like a pastime where people would finally go to the beach. And go swimming in the ocean. And swimming in the ocean was a like a pastime instead of just something some people did. It was a... In those amazing bathing costumes that we used to see on Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yeah, it was just people would go to the beach. It was something they did now. And in 1916, it was a record hot year. It's like there are still some temperature records from that year that haven't been beaten. And in most places, they weren't beaten until, you know, a hundred years later when global climate change started fucking us all. And have you heard the stories about how, like... Things are visibly getting better even in the short amount of time that people have been unpeopling everything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like Mother Nature has asked us all to hold her beer. Yeah. And oh, and obviously there was no air conditioning in 1916. Yeah, I wouldn't have survived 1916. Yeah, you would have died. I turned the air conditioning on yesterday when it was 60 out. And another big factor was that there was a very big polio epidemic in New York City that killed thousands. Always an epidemic. And a lot of people fled the city just to escape polio and escape the heat. And they all went to the beach resorts on the Jersey Shore in New Jersey. There were more people in the water than there had ever been. And some sea captains were reporting off the shore uh, lots, a large number of large sharks. Mm-hmm. This was largely ignored because no one was worried about shark attacks at all. Most people were not concerned. They thought, you know, sharks eat fish. We're not fish. The general assumption was sharks wouldn't prey on people generally because they weren't, we weren't their natural prey. We, we didn't live in the water. Sharks wouldn't eat us. We were just kind of visiting. I mean, there are a lot of things that we eat that aren't really our natural yeah. prey. The assumptions that were based on this were like, you know, shark attacks were probably only likely when they were scared and caught in nets because most of the shark injuries were from fishermen or people who worked in the water. And they assumed like these were just, you know, sharks that had been like caught and surprised by people and they would bite them. They weren't trying to eat them. One scientist, months before this happened, made the bold claim that he thought even the largest shark didn't have a strong enough bite to kill a man. 
A different scientist argued, you fucking idiot, their teeth are three inches long, and a great white shark can tear a seal in half. That will absolutely kill you. You don't even need to have a strong bite when you have those teeth. No. Um, After this attack, the uh, gentleman who made those claims that sharks could kill you uh, admitted that he might have underestimated sharks. (laughs) That's what's written on his tombstone. (laughs) Yes. We might have underestimated (laughs) sharks. Can I have that on mine? Since you're not letting me be thrown. My actual request to Austin was that when I die, I be thrown into the ocean to be eaten by sharks. And he said no. Of course I said no. No is the only answer to that. No. International waters in New Jersey. Everything is legal. Yes. Oh, I guess I could just do this. Like, it's like, oh no, she got eaten by a shark in New Jersey. It was a hundred years ago today. Actually, no, it's, it's too late now. Are you saying you wish you'd killed me in 2016? Oh, no. <laughs> I wish I had died in 2016. <laughs> oh, man. Everything... We all, everybody wishes they had died in 2016. The attacks began on July 1st at Beach Haven in New Jersey. There was a man, uh, Charles Van Zandt, age 23, was going to go out and take a swim before he had dinner with his family. And he was playing in the surf with his dog. Oh, no. All right. Lots of dogs are mentioned in this. I'm just going to say it now. All of the dogs are fine. Okay, okay. No dogs were hurt in this. Because dogs are smarter than people. Many people died. The dogs- Dogs are fine. The dogs and the sharks were like, that's a fucking predator, I'm out of here. Hundreds of sharks, four people, no dogs. It's cool. Charles Van Zandt. Bystanders at first thought when he was attacked that he was simply calling to his dog as he was screaming and crying. Uh Uh-huh. But eventually a lifeguard and another man noticed he was struggling in the surf. And swam out to rescue him because he uh, found that he had been bitten on the sh- bitten on the thigh by a shark and had stripped the flesh from his skin. Oh! He uh, ended up bleeding to death on a hotel desk waiting for help mm-hmm. at- shortly after the attack. What a horrible way to go! Yeah. Initially, this attack was blamed on sea turtles because sea turtles were known to snap at people, and some of the initial reports didn't want to panic because there weren't people knew that sharks were out there, but they didn't want people sharks were thinking sharks were dangerous. So they're saying it was sea turtles because sea turtles had been known to snap at people. So they they were cool people being afraid of sea turtles. Yeah. 1916, New Jersey. What else do I need to say? At this point, no resorts had closed. Then on July 6th, 45 miles north, there was a second attack on Charles Bruder. He was a Swiss man. He was swimming about 130 yards out from the shore. Wow, that's fine. When a shark bit his abdomen and severed his legs. Uh, two women looked out and saw this, and they thought that they, they saw a capsized red canoe because the water around him had turned so red from blood. They went and told the lifeguards who rowed out to rescue him. They immediately saw it was a shark attack and got him in the boat, and he bled to death before they could reach the shore. Oh, yeah. The New York Times reported that women were panic-stricken and fainted as his mutilated body was brought ashore. But I'm sure no men reacted like that. Men can't possibly be horrified by these missing abdomen and severed legs of someone. Oh no, that was, I mean, I've seen, I've seen similar things. I probably would have thrown up that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Austin legitimately had, he's not talking about like TV shows. No, that was it at first. Then on July 12th, there were some very major attacks. Uh, they were at Madawan Creek in New Jersey, which was not a resort town. This was just a place where people lived. And a man named Thomas Cottle spotted an eight foot shark in the creek and tried to report to people that he had seen the shark. Because words of these shark attacks had gotten around at this point. Yeah. The town dismissed him because it was in this creek. Around 2 p.m., a group of boys and their dog, the dog was fine. Okay. 
decided to go swimming. They saw what they shot was an old board or a log, but then they saw the dorsal fin, so they decided to get out of the water Logs because don't it was tend a shark. Lester Stillwell, 11, got pulled underwater. Oh. The other boys ran off to town to get help, and they did come back with several men returned to look for him. Because they were assuming that he was not attacked by a shark, but he had a seizure in the water and they were trying to rescue him. I mean, kids that age, they don't want to make that connection between what the, the shark and I mean, what they, happened. Honestly, the boys even said, you know, this is a shark, but these are adults. It's like, Oh, okay. It's like, yeah, it was a shark, but okay. your, your friend's underwater. We're going to go rescue him. Well, it's like, more importantly, people don't believe adults. Yeah. Their kids, adults don't believe uh, yeah. children. A man, uh, Stanley Fisher, found the body, oh. and he was bringing it back to shore when he was attacked by the shark. Oh, no. And uh, he bled to death from a wound in his thigh, and in the hospital at about 530, uh, they, didn't, they didn't find uh, Lester Stilwell's body until two days later. Poor Lester. Yeah. I mean, poor Stanley, was that his name? Yep, Stanley. It's like, he was just trying to help. And he was trying to help, and he got- I mean, nobody does- very few people deserve yep. to get eaten by sharks. Then- Half an hour after these attacks, uh, half, uh, uh, half, a mu- half an hour later and half a mile upstream, a young boy, uh, Joseph Dunn, age 14, was attacked by the shark. But his brother and a friend managed to wrestle him away from it in what they described as a tug of war with it. Oh. And, um... Now, are sharks like crocodiles where you can, like, punch them, like, in the nose? Yeah, you, you can. I mean, I know you can punch anything in the nose, but... It's... It's one of those things where there's mixed reports on if it works or not. If I, but if you're being eaten by a shark, you might as well try. So the consensus I've heard is, yeah, it's like it doesn't affect them because they, hunt, like great white sharks hunt by plowing into seals at 30 miles an hour. So you punching them in the nose isn't going to hurt them. They might just be letting go anyway because they realize you are not their regular prey. And some sharks actually don't like the taste of people because it's been reported they spit out the chunks they bite out immediately after. What if you go after the eyes? Like, whenever I'm watching a TV show where someone has to fight, I start yelling, go for the eyes. Do you think that would work with a shark? Maybe. Probably not. Because, again, they're sharks. They eat scarier things than us. We are the least scary thing but a shark is going to eat. But those things don't take out their eyes. Mm. Uh, fortunately, Joseph Dunn lived. He survived his injuries and was released from the hospital in September. When was this? May? This was in... This was in July. Wow. This is all 12 days in July. All these shark attacks happened. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was some aftermath from this because everybody panicked. Yeah. Everybody. At first, authorities were reluctant to attribute the attacks to sharks. We talked about the sea turtles earlier. And when finally it was, they could not die with sharks anymore after the second attack. They downplayed the threat to humans because they thought, oh, the shark, the first case, the shark was trying to prey on the dogs. Because dogs are their natural prey. You know, yeah, all those water dogs. Dogs. Are, dogs are smaller, but people are bigger. And from Anybody who's att- ever yeah. had a great Pyrenees knows that's not yeah. true. After the first two attacks, they created a, a panel to try to calm down the public. They all stressed the third attack was incredibly unlikely after the first two attacks. There was one ichthyologist on the panel who re- recommended that people uh, stay close to the shore and that they should go swimming in some in net protected beaches. So smart things. Smart things. It didn't work. People were still panicking. They estimated that they lost about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in tourist revenue that year. In nineteen sixteen money. Yeah, that's uh, nine point five million in today money. And uh, sunbathing declined by seventy five percent. So skin cancer rates went down. Skin cancer rates went down. 
But why would sunbathing go down? You're not in the water. Sharks aren't going to get you if you're on the land. Until they become a Sharknado. Sharknado. But listen, we are still 100 years away from a Sharknado even happening. Are we though? Actually, no, we're like 98 years away from a Sharknado even happening. That wasn't set in the future. What? It wasn't set in the future. No, like when when this happened oh. in 1916. Okay, okay. They, they didn't know about Sharknados back then. I bet the ichthyologist wouldn't have believed in Sharknados. No. But we know the truth. Armed boat patrols started chasing off sharks. And chasing off sharks is in quotes. Because they don't actually know if they ever chase off any sharks with these armed boat patrols. One lifeguard thinks that he fought off a 12-foot shark with an oar. 12-foot shark? That's a big one. That's a real big shark. I mean, they can get that long. They can get that long. But is, aren't they usually like 10? It depends on the species of shark. Well, Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like saying all whales are blue whales. Yeah. No, that's not true. There was an actress, Gertrude Hoffman, who was swimming and claims that she was being stalked by the man-eater shark. <laughs> and when she it remem- was just Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yep, young Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and she remembered reading in the New York Times that she uh, could scare it away by vigorously splashing. <laughs> um, now, here's a note. Um, this will not scare away a shark. Um, modern ichthyologists think that sharks like to hunt people because our swimming and splashing sounds like injured fish and that attracts them. So the splashing didn't help her. There probably wasn't a shark. And she later admitted there might not have been a shark, but if it was, it was definitely the man eater. Now, isn't it also theorized that the reason a lot of surfers get attacked is because when they're rowing out, they look like seals? Yeah. So don't act like an a piece of prey. Yeah, I mean, most modern, like, scientists, like, sharks aren't intentionally hunting people. Right. We just act and look like prey to them, and so they attack us because they're animals and they're following their instincts. That's what they do. It's not evil. It's not malicious. They are not, like, hunting people. They're not, like, driven by bloodlust. They haven't developed a taste for human flesh. Yeah, that's not a real thing. Like, also, like, dogs that bite people... They don't have a taste for human flesh. No. Unless they are a vicious dog, which does exist, just like vicious people exist. Yeah. They are not likely to be a repeat attacker. Yeah. The town of Madawan Creek actually started using dynamite and nets in the creek to try and find this shark. They even offered a $100 reward for any shark caught in the creek. That's $20 billion today. Actually, it's about $5,000 today. Uh, No sharks were caught. Sharks are smarter than us. I feel like they were coordinating. Yeah. The New Jersey resorts actually petitioned the federal government for help. President Wilson called together and met with his cabinet about what to do about these shark attacks. And this was in 1916, also known as when World War I was going on, and they had uh-huh. a full cabinet meeting about shark attacks. They considered using the Coast Guard to defend the beaches from sharks, and Congress appropriated $5,000 in aid to New Jersey to hunt sharks. Uh, municipalities offered bounties for sharks. And hundreds were caught in one of the largest scale animal hunts in history. Were they catching things that weren't sharks? Like dolphins and yeah, stuff? Yeah, they, ca- they were catching everything. This was indiscriminate slaughter. Like, and most sharks, if, as I understand, aren't especially dangerous to people. Like, they just are, you know, running around doing their shark thing, yep. having small mouths. So, are you ready to hear my favorite part of this entire story? Okay. On July 14th, a New Yorker, Michael Schlesinger, from Harlem, who is a taxidermist and a lion tamer for Barnum and Bailey, was fishing, and he caught a seven and a half foot great white shark. How? 
he says it nearly sunk his boat, but he managed to kill it with a broken oar. Yeah. He brought it in, and when they were examining it, when they were examining it, he found a chunk of flesh about half the size of a laundry basket weighing 15 pounds that scientists identified as human remains. Oh, jeez. Now, the taxidermist mounted and displayed this shark in his shop. Oh, yeah. It has since been lost. Kind of like the Iceman. However, um, modern scientists are skeptical of the claim that that was human flesh and human remains that were in this shark. They need to call in the unsolved mysteries people. So this, there are some theories that about this shark. Here's a side note. I forgot about this. Some people didn't think that these were shark attacks. A lot of people were blaming German U-boats oh, for these Jesus. deaths. And more importantly, other people were blaming German U-boats for bringing killer sharks who were used to eating human flesh from war-torn Europe and bringing them to America. Well, I mean, there's one way to tell. Did they have freaking laser beams attached to their heads? Nine. <laughs> so, yeah, some, again, it was World War One, and there was a chance to blame Germans, so they blamed the fucking Germans. The large idea that most people believed was these were shark attacks, which they were. But there's some debate about if these were, if this was one shark that did all of the attacks, if it was several different sharks... And they were just unrelated attacks, or even if it was the same species of shark that did all the attacks. I'm telling you, the sharks had a cabinet meeting and yep. decided to go attack. Yeah, because um, in 2002, National Geographic published that it believes that the great white shark was not responsible for the Madawan Creek attacks. Because they don't think it can survive in the, like, you know, saltwater, like the freshwater tidal creek like that. <coughs> they think it was a bull shark, which have been known to go upstream like that, and are a bit more are a bit more prone to attacking people than great white sharks are. That's what they think. Of course, the official files still attribute it to be a great white shark with all the attacks. A ichthyologist actually claimed that we will simply never know, but spirited debate will just always happen. I thought an ichthyologist studied birds. I don't know why. Ornithologists study birds. I know. I don't know why I thought ichthyologist. What is Because ich- birds are icky. <clears throat> Do ichthyologists specifically st- study like sharks or is it Ichthyo- fish? Ichthyologists study, study fish. Okay. Yep. So yeah. Believe it or not, this event did have some big, like, pop culture crap happen with it. Because uh, Peter Benchley wrote a novel, Jaws, based on these shark attacks. Uh-huh. And then they turned it into the movie Jaws, which has been one of the biggest contributors to shark hunting and shark fishing and shark deaths. We are just now starting to realize that sharks are not evil, that they are just animals that are driven by instinct, predatory instincts, and they're a necessary and important part of the food chain and, like, the food webs and ocean ecology. One, I love sharks. I adore them. Like, I used to go to the New England Aquarium a lot, and you could watch, just stand there and watch these sharks. Secondly, never seen Jaws. Never seen Jaws? <laughs> never seen oh, Jaws? Oh, Jaws is a, it's a good movie. It's very suspenseful. And the best thing that happened to Jaws was they had this big animatronic shark that didn't work. So they never showed the shark until the end. I've been on the Jaws ride at Universal. We actually didn't go on it when we went to... No, we was, didn't. Is it still there? Yeah. I, well, maybe. I have no idea. Like, we mostly stayed in, you know, Harry Potter, but we ventured part. out briefly, and it wasn't... It was like going from a really cool, immersive environment to, oh, dear God, I'm at a carnival. Yeah. So... So, yeah, that was... Because we were talking about going back. We should talk about finding if the Jaws yeah. ride is still there. Maybe. So, are you ready for some questions? Yeah. Okay. Question one. Will the fact that Jaws was based on real events be on the test? Yeah. Will the fact that only four people died from these shark attacks be on the test? Yeah, they kind of have to. It's a test about this. Will the fact that we don't actually know what shark caused these attacks be on the test? No. And will the fact 
that a taxidermist who tamed lions caught a man-eating shark in Harlem be on the test? Well, thanks to Joe Exotic, absolutely. Oh my god, like, Joe Exotic's got nothing on this guy. Uh Uh-huh. And plus, you know what he didn't do? He didn't hire a hitman to kill Carol Baskin. (laughs) Are we sure? Are we sure this guy is not Joe Exotic? Joe Exotic- Can we prove that this guy is not an immortal guy who's in an Oklahoma prison now? Oh my- Okay, if Joe Exotic is like some like immortal being who is living through all of history, and that's what we get. (laughs) We don't get like- Think about it though. If you have lived through a thousand years of human history, let's say, and you got to see how terrible people are in general- don't you think you would have ended up a little crazy rather than wise? So you're saying that Joe Exotic is just na- what happens naturally if you're immortal? I you hit the so. point where the only pleasure you get is from being in a polyamorous gay tiger cult? Yes. Okay. And and shooting music videos. Yeah. That, amazing music Amazing videos. music videos. I'm really mad that they never once mentioned in the doc that that wasn't him singing though because the group that was doing the music does deserve credit. I don't remember what their name was. I saw it once briefly. I feel like they might not want the credit. Nah, maybe. Well, maybe they do now that it's actually a big thing. Yeah. Because I'm like, that. we we were watching like that is not him singing. There was no way that was him singing. He sounds like he swallowed the noisemaker from a whoopee cushion. How could that be him singing? (laughs) I know. I know. Okay. So we did mention earlier that we spent some time sorting people into houses. And I promised I'd bring it back. Yeah. Um, Should we get like mention some of our more (laughs) controversial picks? I feel like the office ones are going to be the ones that people will relate We're, to. We'll just ignore those because they're all Slytherins with the exception of a couple. Yep. Although the one controversial one I think is that uh, Jim is a total fucking Slytherin. Jim is absolutely a Slytherin. It's like I, I saw a thing on Reddit that had him as a Gryffindor. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no. A brave person would not have been like, I'm going to take this job because I'm afraid and not tell my wife because I'm afraid of her. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. And then Parks and Rec, we decided that Leslie Nope was a Hufflepuff. Yeah. And Not a Gryffindor. I relate to Leslie Nope on a spiritual level, and I'm a Slytherin. But everything she did, everything was because of her friends and her community. That's And she yep. has this nice combination of all the houses, which puts her in Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, she had, like, the work ethic. She would put in the work. She would toil thanklessly, like, in city government, because that's what you do when you work in local government, is you toil thanklessly. We never quite landed on something for Chris Drager, and we want to hear your input. Yeah, please tell us who, what house you think Chris Drager's in. But, okay, this was the controversial one that I had, is that I think from Supernatural, Sam and Dean Winchester are both Ravenclaws. And Austin went with Gryffindor. Uh, yeah, of course. See, my argument is that if you have lived through these experiences... You know that these bad things are out there and you're, you have the option of trying to run away for your entire life, knowing that that won't work as you've seen from the show, trying to go back to a normal life or actively working towards defeating these things. I think it's a Ravenclaw move to go working towards defeating them because that is the smartest of your three options. You're not going to live your life in total fear. You're, you're going to go out and have to find ways to save other people, to save yourself, to defeat the things that are going after them. And you do it entirely through cleverness. See, I view them as kind of more like Hermione or Neville-style Gryffindors. Not Ron and Harry who just like blindly stumble into things. They're like, oh, there's this thing happening. I bet we can learn about it so we can defeat it or figure out what's going on. I mean, I can, I can, 
I can put Dean into Gryffindor if I need to. Mm-hmm. Sam is definitely a, sli- a Ravenclaw. Sam is a Sam is definitely a Ravenclaw. But Dean, Dean okay, I know Dean is, comes across as the dopey one who doesn't want to do the research and blah blah blah. But Ravenclaw does not necessarily mean studious. Yep. Ravenclaw just means that you know how to do something, and he knows how to do things. Yep. Also, why I think that Penny from Big Bang Theory is the only definite Ravenclaw on the show. At, for, when I first heard that, I thought, no, that's stupid. Then I thought for a moment, and yes. It's like, it, there's the episode where they're putting in her TV or building something for, I think it was a TV. And they were like talking about putting in like these extra electronics and a heat sink and all this. And she's like, guys, I have the instructions. I'm not, no, let, let, we're, we're working on it. She goes, all you have to do is like plug it in and press these couple of buttons and it's set up. She actually like finds the solution to the problems where mm-hmm. they make bigger problems. She fixes so many of their issues for them just by being quick on her feet and clever. And they are... Like, she knows what she knows. She also knows that she is not the most educated, but she works to become more educated, and they don't. No. If anything, they they work to not learn anything. Because it would prove to them that they don't know stuff, Sheldon. Yeah. I love Sheldon. I cannot stand Sheldon. You're married to Sheldon. I am married to Amy fucking Santiago, and you know it. <laughs> oh, man. So what did you learn today? I learned that there were two badass women pilots of color who just competently went about doing their jobs and were just great at it, even though no one thought that they should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Two people that will never be mentioned in school. No. I learned that Jaws is based on a true story. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. Well, I hope you all are continuing to social distance and wash your hands and making and wearing super cool masks. Uh, we ordered a couple from Etsy that have Harry Potter print on them, so we're yep. excited to get those. Uh, in the meantime, I, I don't go out. My immune system has some issues, so Austin is going to be going out wearing a red bandana like an old-fashioned bandit. I need to find a cowboy hat and some chaps. You are not wearing chaps. I am wearing nothing but chaps. <laughs> I will give you, I will get you a leather vest. Okay, so I can be like, oh man, I should just go out dressed like Woody from Toy Story. You should! You should just tell people to reach for the sky, then you'll reach get arrested. Reach for the sky. Or if somebody gets too close to you, you just yell, there's a snake in my boots at them. They'll get freaked out and leave. Oh, so on that note, oh, where wait. can they find us on social media? No, to, wait, wait. Did you, did you see the mask that has nothing but tiny penises on it? Yes, the one where if they're close enough to see that they're tiny penises, they're too close to you and they should back off. Yeah, so they say to you, it's like, you know there are penises on your mask? You're too close if you can see those. Yep. I love it. I love it. But anyway, people can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod. On Facebook, we are Will This Be On The Test with the question mark or Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod. And of course, we have our website, OnTheTestPod.com. I'm a little behind in putting our transcripts up there, but we do put transcripts of our episodes and they are transcribed by Otter.ai because... I am not spending 10 hours transcribing these. I love you, but I also love, you know, sleep. Um, I've been <clears throat> I've been handwriting and illuminating all of our texts uh, because I have decided that if I'm going to be stuck in my house, I'm going to live like a medieval monk and start handwriting our podcasts as future holy texts for everybody. Oh. So the otter.ai sometimes gets some pretty funny shit in it because it's, uh, <laughs> it's transcribed by a robot who hates us. Yes. I mean, all robots hate us. 
And yeah, so stay safe, stay healthy, stay active. We're actually recording this on Easter, so I hope you guys made good choices. Had your if you if you celebrate Easter or if you celebrated Passover this week, yep. had everything, you know, via Zoom meeting with your families and didn't lick anybody's eyeballs. The churches around us, even when Kansas was trying to reopen the churches, opted to stay closed. Yeah, they they put out very specific method messages saying we will not be opening, continue to maintain social distancing, don't listen to those idiots who say we can meet. And the idiots who say we can meet lost anyway, because yeah. religion was never being targeted. Yes. It was any gathering of more than 10 people were like, well, people are gathering at Walmart. I'm like, no, they're not. They're existing in Walmart simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Gathering is an intentional grouping of people. And there are stores that are also now saying, you know, they're actually somebody at the door Almost like at a club saying, okay, stop. And then people come out and they let the next person in. People come out, they let... And that's the way it should be. Although I saw a horrible thing on social media where a guy had that job. Somebody tried to cut the line. He was like, you need to go back. Doing this this way. And the dude fucking choked him. Wow. Yeah, manager got over and got the guy off of him. But yeah, I know things are hard. Don't suck as a person. Please don't. It's like, is that how your mother raised you? It might be, because you seem be. like a shitty person. Yeah. Do you want people to think your mother was a shitty person? No. You might. <laughs> well, I guess on that bummer. <laughs> stay safe, stay healthy, and class, class dismissed. dismissed.